We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our long national nightmare is over, Brad. Matt Canada is no longer the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I thought about starting this podcast off by just screaming at the top of my lungs. But a man was fired here, Brad. Someone did lose his job. So I thought one shred of decency that I could show is to not at least express my jubilation to that degree. And instead, just to talk about the numbers, the stats, because those never lie. Those never lie, Brad. They never lie. They don't. Yeah, they don't care as much about your personal feelings as perhaps, you know, we're trying to do. He is a person, you know, he seems like a good guy. Uh, but yeah, he has <laughs> zero. Yeah, man, who knows? I don't know. I, who knows? But anyway, shout out at Stats Guy Daniel. Daniel Valente tweeted this out over 44 games as a Steelers offense coordinator, zero games with 400 yards, one game with 300 passing yards, two games scoring 30 points, seven games with two or more passing touchdowns out of 44 is insane. <laughs> Uh, 27 games with 20 first downs or less and 28 out of 44 with 20 points or less. And look, like you obviously can point to, yeah, I, I knew this was going to be your vibe on this show. You can obviously point to some deficiencies, but like a good coach, a good coach with the players they had, like none of those stats are, are real stats. It was, it was, it was a crazy tenure. Yeah. I don't know. How long will it be until we see something else like this? I mean, that's the thing. So I do want to get into to be serious for a second. And I, and I get, we're not going to be serious at all. The, the report from Jerry Dulac, who I, over the years, maybe you know better than me, but like he seems legit. Every time I see him put something out, he very specifically said, Art Rooney fired Matt Canada, not mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin, Jerry Dulac, who I've always seen have good Intel yes. said Art Rooney. The second was the one. Who, so like, that's the thing. Like, when do we see this again? I don't know. The next time that a coach, fires his friend who is not even remotely qualified to be an offensive coordinator is the next time we maybe see it because guys don't really get away with that in this league anymore. And the one team where you could get away with it, the owner just stepped in and said, I've seen enough. Yeah. I mean, lots to unpack there for sure. I mean, people have dug into the Tomlin Canada personal connection. I won't go down that road on this podcast just because I don't know, like there, there's a lot of ambiguity, but you're right. There's definitely like, his hesitancy to fire Canada over the last couple of years was obvious. And going into this year, it was at its most obvious. I think when it originally happened, people, I've talked about this on the podcast, when Canada originally came on, there was a sense around the league that what are they doing kind of thing. But there is a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin, maybe not for his offensive coordinator hirings, or maybe not justifiably for his offensive coordinator hirings, but there's a lot of respect for him around the league. 
And so this wasn't a situation where some clown coach was in a position and everybody in the round of the league was taking pot shots um, under anonymous sources, you know, or to the media. People did this behind closed doors. Everybody doubted. But like nobody wanted to come out and put their name behind or anything like that, criticizing them, understandably so, because they respect Pittsburgh as an organization and they respect Tomlin as a coach. Everybody is around the league. So because of that, it wasn't seen as this opportunity to take shots like it would have been for a Josh McGannis or someone, frankly, just less deserving of respect. And so that kept things quiet. But if you dug and asked people, it was clear around the league. Everybody was like, wow, I am shocked by this and I really have no idea how this is going to go. Like I, I feel heard bad things about him as a dude, just the way he relates to people more than anything. And as an offensive mind, like there's so much here to be desired, especially as a passing game, the coordinator of a passing game. Then fast forward. Okay. One, two, three years. I think at the three year mark was when everybody was like, there's just no way. Like, and people, it started to come out like the disbelief around the league. There was some vague reporting. Like they could not believe that he was coming back for a third season. Teams just could not believe people in organizations could not believe so it is no surprise, I guess, in some ways to see this. Obviously, this hasn't worked. We kind of knew that that was going to be the case. Uh, it was clear. It was as clear as I can recall, like uh, that going into this year, the Canada wasn't going to be back past the end of this year unless this offense took like massive leaps that just were not likely to ever happen. And so we kind of knew this was coming in some ways. Here it is a few games early, basically. So what does it ultimately mean, Brad? I mean, you have a situation where Matt Canada was in no way, shape, or form going to be back for this organization after the season was over. The Steelers, there's clearly like a lid on what they're going to be able to accomplish this season. Maybe that's a playoff berth and an early exit with a loss. We'll see kind of how that all shakes out and get to that another time. But what does it all change for this season? Because it was going to happen eventually anyway. But the fact that they fired him during the season has to and didn't wait till the end of this thing when his contract just expires like they typically do that has to mean something what does that mean to you i think it actually can speak to some some positives and it might sound overly simplistic but i look at the las vegas raiders look josh mcdaniels viewed as this offensive wonderkin had an extremely complicated offense i don't think anyone thinks that particularly was the issue in pittsburgh we have former players like jay sternberger basically openly mocking how simple and how there's no why to anything that matt canada did um, as compared to matt lafleur and green bay but when i look at las vegas what bo hardegree who has stepped in now and been the offensive coordinator with the raiders has done you look it's an extremely like dumbed down offense for aiden o'connell it is a lot of Half-field read concepts, it's it's very, you know, get, have at least one player who is running a route near the line of scrimmage or within it, and then you do have some concepts of high lows, but, it, but it's not, it's all about getting the ball out quickly, letting playmakers do the work, because Las Vegas has a Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, a Michael Meyer coming on as a rookie now, et cetera, et cetera, and his average time to throw, Aiden O'Connell's, in the Chargers game was near three seconds, was 2.1 seconds in the first game, their win over the New York Giants. Look, they beat a Jets team that has an elite defense. So I think now if you just have an extremely simplified offense, and, and I know, again, like Canada was not, over-complexity was not the issue, but but just go to a couple concepts, core concepts that Kenny is comfortable with, that the offense likes running. You take some feedback. Like, I love the story of Josh Jacobs saying the coaches immediately were like, hey, what do you like to run? And then he gets the playbook for the following week, and everything he said he likes to run was the offensive playbook from a run game standpoint. 
I think the two coaches they're bringing in, you know, I think it's like a co-OC situation with the running backs coach um, and and with the quarterbacks coach can just just go to the bread and butter because you don't need to do a whole lot over the next month of their schedule um, to win some games and score 20 points and have 300 yards. Uh, It's a low bar to clear. Yeah, no question. I think that obviously that you can't expect like wholesale changes, um, t- but you're right. There should be some intricacies and I'll get into what a couple of things I think they're real realistic that could actually change. Um, you mentioned a, g- a good chunk of them there with uh, kind of orienting it around what players would like to do, which I think is mostly always a good idea. Not always a good idea, but mostly always a good idea. I, I will say this. This clearly happened because players were done. This doesn't happen unless players put that pressure on. There's already been some reporting or some, People in the know, Jeff Saturday, I don't know how doubted he is to the Steelers situation, but he basically said Tomlin was going to lose the locker room, and that's why he did this. Um, I don't think it necessarily takes that much inference to get to that conclusion. Players were kind of outspoken, as outspoken as players typically are uh, in criticism of these things at the end of last year, and then were at the end of this game as well. Najee basically just saying this can't continue, like something's got to change. The difficulty here, and and this is where it gets really stupid online, is where people start saying, oh, the quarterback's getting their OC fired and stuff like that. Please exit everything with that garbage because Matt Canada has had multiple quarterbacks and been horrendous, and he's been horrendous before he got to the Steelers. It'll be horrendous if he gets the opportunity to coach again wherever he goes from here. That's I have no question about that in my mind. I'm not saying Kenny Pickett has been good at all. But this was a situation where every single person in an NFL locker room knew he was a massive problem. And they all put pressure on, increasingly so lately, for a change to be made. And that is why the change is being made. This is not Tomlin looking in the mirror and saying, okay, I've had enough. That doesn't happen unless the players are about to put. This is this is my opinion, obviously, on this situation. But I just don't believe that happens unless the players are put up. And I, get, and I think the Rooney's as well. Like They were just like, There's, this can't continue any longer. That report doesn't come out that, that Rooney fired him without a reason. Like That is a big part of this. It doesn't mean Tomlin wasn't in agreement or okay with it or was against it or anything like that. He wasn't going to make that move on his own. That's all I'm saying. Like He wasn't sitting back to his own druthers and just saying, you know what, this is the move we got to make. This is what I believe is best for the team. He was pressured by the people around him to make the move. And he may have been like, okay, yeah, that's the, this is, you're right. Like he may have admitted that behind closed doors. Uh, he speaks to the media here in about 45 minutes or so. Um, but we'll never probably know that part. Instead, it will look like he did, you know, when he talks, I'm sure it'll, he'll take responsibility for the move and for the decision to fire him. But it came from somewhere else, which is indicative to me of what has been a bad uh, vibe in the locker room on all the offensive side of the ball. There's almost no way to avoid that when you've played this poorly on offense. Um, so this absolutely had to happen. It is a critical first step. It was never going to be Kenny first, nor should it have been because Kenny hypothetically is still fixable and Canada is not. And so this had to happen. This is the move that Pittsburgh needed to make at some point. How much of a difference will it make now? We'll see. The reality, though, is that Kenny Pickett is still probably going to be bad. Like just the averages and the way that he's played and the mistakes he's made, especially over the last couple games. Like there's been lots of throws to be made, and we talked about it the last couple weeks. He's end up being he's ended up being as bad as Matt Canada has been. Um, and so, yes, there have been throws to be made. Yes, there are tons of concepts and play sequencing issues and attention to details that's lacking all over the place. So it absolutely can be both. Please do not be so much of a sheep that you can't see that it can be both and that you can equally blame both people and still 
maintain all your credibility. You don't have to put it on one or the other. This is not an either or thing. This is a both and. It has been both and. And now we will see if Kenny can change and get better without Matt Canada. He wasn't going to with Canada. So this is just the next logical step. And if he does not, perhaps at the end of this year, we're talking about moving on from Kenny Pickett. I know I'm going to probably be in that boat if he doesn't improve. And we'll see what the Steelers end up doing. Yeah, so the two points there. The first one, I think Najee Harris' comments were probably the final, you know, like you've obviously heard it from different players. We obviously have George Pickens' frustration. And I do think also on that point quickly, like players getting frustrated and us tying it to their stat line in a particular game, like, yeah, that's their livelihood. Like, obviously, you know, you don't want to see a guy frustrated when someone else is scoring a touchdown, you're winning a game. But, like, players are invariably going to be concerned about how they're performing because you get to free agency, you get to extension conversation talks, say, oh, well, you only had 600 yards your second year. And George is saying, well, yeah, because we had 3,000 passing yards and the worst, you know, route combinations in the entire National Football League. Like, that's not my fault. Um, And again, you know, we talked about that game. He probably could have scored a touchdown, whatever. But I do think Najee's comments were probably the final straw. He clearly is a presence in that locker room and and was completely just over and just done with it. Um, To the second point, Yes, we still need to see a lot from Kenny, but I will say, like, that was the tough part is I think having these two variables at the same time to where Tomlin maybe could convince himself, okay, I think Matt maybe could get better and is maybe finding a step, whatever. And now I'm going to kind of say, yeah, but he has a rookie quarterback. So that's kind of holding him back. It's kind of, it's limiting the playbook. It's limiting what Matt can do. You know, he, he came in the year before, obviously, but it's tough to have when you're not in sync at those two spots and you know, you're not confident that one of the two is not a problem, even if it's not great. So, okay, this guy, he's a proven tracker of success. He's not a problem. It's not working right now. I'm not saying he's perfect, but but I'm more confident it's probably the quarterback than the play caller on offense. There was not that didn't exist here. I mean, I we talked about like I was in New Orleans for, for the LSU year in 2017. They lose to Troy, they get smacked by Mississippi State, and they have Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Like this team was still loaded, and there's one of the worst offensive outputs of the new generation of LSU. Yeah. Obviously, they used to not be able to score at all and just run the football, but and then two years later, they have maybe the greatest college football team in the history of the sport uh, that scored 50 points a game, uh, you know, with the same head coach, too. Just a different yeah. play caller, um, you know, and a staff with Joe Brady, et cetera. So, yeah. It, I mean, Ed Orgeron is not some bastion of, of progressive <laughs> thought and head coach. And he was like, exactly. I'm and done he was a one and done. Before one and done. Was even over, yes. He was like, I'm ready to move on. Like, that's yes. how crazy this is. And I said this on Twitter, and I truly believe like someday, whether it's a documentary or some type of reporting will be done on the fact that he that Matt Canada is what I believe is a is the closest thing to what you would call a con man as a play caller and play designer offensive coordinator in today's NFL meaning that he is not qualified for this job and he is basically dressed it up as if he is and it fooled one person and one person alone that person is Mike Tomlin who absolutely should bear all the responsibility for this as well um and he somehow fooled him and that somehow worked for almost three full years and set the franchise back pretty drastically now would Kenny have been good with somebody else I don't know I'm not saying that I don't think that this is like a situation where this was so negative and Kenny was just so talented and then undid all this amazing talent that he could have had I'm not going there. Well, let's see how Kenny looks over the next couple of weeks. I obviously have significant doubts. I've kind of always had doubts when it comes to Kenny. So it's just going to take a lot for me to move off those priors. Like I have to see something sustained body of evidence to believe that it's 
fully someone else and not Kenny for me to really change my opinion on that. But there's no doubt that it was Canada, like no question in my mind. And so, yeah, this, this absolutely had to happen. And it, it, it hopefully will reverse a, a, a culture of incompetence that was surrounding them offensively. And I think to the Kenny point, it's important. So I am going to give him the rest of the season. We'll see what happens. I agree. I was not super high on him. I mean, I went on Pittsburgh radio and, and <laughs> said he like, shouldn't have been a first round pick the day it had or like the year it happened. But um, that was fun for I, you. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, Someday we'll talk know. about all our our takes on the Steelers, like last ten years of draft picks. At the time, we'll pull up, like receipts and reactions, and then we'll talk about whether we ended up being right or not. Yeah, on Keanu Benton, maybe, but not many others. <laughs> I'm waiting for the the apology tweet from uh, Andrew Filippone when I said Najee Harris was the worst pick in the first round. It, it was. Um, anyway, so <laughs> Tony, um, if you're listening, do it. Yeah, yeah, if you're listening. Um, but no, the, the thing with Kenny, so I will give him the runway, see what happens here, and maybe you can reassess. But I do think the fact that, it, and again, I know it came from ownership potentially more than Mike Tomlin. We, we both probably believe that. Firing a coordinator for the first time in 80 years, like it's meaningful because right? maybe it does speak to, you know, I, again, on Pittsburgh this morning, I was like, well, they're not going to do anything until the end of the season. And like an hour later, they fired Matt Canada. Maybe they are saying, okay, look, Kenny, yeah, it's only been two years. Historically, we would never do this. But for me, you bring in Andy Weidel from the Philadelphia Eagles, who was there when they had just extended Carson Wentz to a top-of-market deal. He had a down season. And even if you don't go first-round pick for the Steelers, let's say you're sitting there in the mid-second round where Jalen Hurts went, what was it, 51st overall to the Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago. You sit there and you say, okay, you know, because of injury or age or whatever, a Bonix or a Michael Penix. I'm not even saying I love these guys, but you're sitting there mid to late second and you say, we, we don't know about Kenny yet. We're not going to like trade him and just give up on him and just take the first prospect available to us and pick 18, whatever. But you're more open to the idea of bringing in competition, of challenging the notion that he is the unquestioned starter going into his third season. I now have more confidence in that being a potential reality because of today's decision. And also because I do think Weidel, like Omar doesn't go out of his way to hire Andy Weidel and shake up the front office. If he doesn't want to emulate what, what Philadelphia does and what more would you want to emulate than that quarterback decision? Now that you have the Eagles, you know, nine and one, two years in a row. Um, I think Omar gets it. I do. I, I think Tomlin has a ton of power. We ownership needed to step in here, but I think Omar wants to continue to challenge the ways they've done things in Pittsburgh, because just like Najee said, you can look at the success they've had in two ways. One way is, oh, it's great, whatever, let's ignore the fact that it's not going to continue, and the second bucket is, this is not sustainable, and it's not going to continue and Najee was obviously 100% right, mm -hmm. and, and, and the team has made a decision in, you know, in line with that thinking. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. No, it's a good point. I mean, you look at the model of Philadelphia and it's moving on from mistakes um, at times when you absolutely need to as a franchise. And I think obviously um, this has been one with Kenny so far. Like he's got a handful of games here to kind of reverse that thinking or at least change people's minds or wonder what he could be. You know, I think uh, perhaps people can be inclined to, to, to believe that there's something greater there with him. We'll see. I'm not, I think to me, the biggest thing is let's not write that story before it's had a chance to be written. Like let's let it go and let's see where it goes. And that'll be obviously a big focus of this podcast moving forward. But I think you and I are, have been fixed, had an opinion about him, but have been open-minded enough to, you know, even as a draft prospect and as a pick, like neither of us were fans of that pick. Neither of us thought he was a first round caliber player at all. Um, so we disagreed with the pick. We said the last year, I thought there were some, some flashes at least like, especially out of structure play, which by the way, maybe we can talk about just hasn't been there this year. Like he just has not been a creator at all. Um, so that part of his play, just not being sustainable at all has been a big issue because that was so much of what made him intriguing. Like if he can reverse and learn to play in the pocket and he's instead not, not gotten any better in the pocket and has we've lost the playmaking outside of the pocket or it wasn't sustainable outside the pocket. Um, he's just not that kind of an athlete once defense is adjusted and played contain on him and knew he wanted to spin out of the pocket every single time there was any semblance of pressure. So that part has proved not to be sustainable. So yeah, I think we've, we've analyzed that. We've said that we've been critical of him. We needed to be, we've been critical of Canada, the offensive line at times. Like, so I think we've been fair and balanced. So just, we'll continue to do that. Obviously, as he gets this opportunity, the question I really want to get into what, changes for him what in this offensive approach that they have moving forward the rest of the season what is more conducive to Kenny Pickett maybe or maybe makes for a better environment for him that wasn't there before one thing that comes to my mind is just personnel changes I think will be one thing that I believe like Tomlin will be like okay you guys want to have some control what are your ideas what are things you want to do they can't rewrite everything like the playbook and all that kind of stuff but play sequencing can be a lot different a lot of the second and 10 runs can be taken out, like which will help Kenny avoid so many third down situations now that he's constantly in. Um, that Those kind of things can help. You can play Jalen Warren more uh, than Najir's can have, actually have like a one-two. Um, maybe you can start to admit some of those things. Will Dan Moore take a seat? Those are things I think that you could come in as new coach, and if you were aligned, if you're Eddie Faulkner, who's going to be the offensive coordinator, and Mike Sullivan, who's going to be the play caller, you know, you just got elevated to these positions you're probably going to want, you're going to have some requests to the head coach. You're going to have like some desire to have some control over what the offense is doing. And I think those could be two things. If you could sit Dan more, if you could play Jalen Warren more, get him the ball more in games like this and situations like this. Not even that I think Najee's bad, but I think Warren's just clearly better. Um, those things could potentially help. And the other thing you have to do is what kind of an emphasis you're going to put on making this more of a vertical passing game. Because what we saw on Sunday, and we're going to get into Sunday's game a good bit here too. That cannot continue, Brad. That was an embarrassment of simplicity on offense and in your passing attack that just has no place in the National Football League. Like the Browns had to do some things like that out of necessity because they had guys that had barely played playing in their offense that week. They're on backup tackles and a, a third string quarterback basically at that point he was making his second start, his first start after a week of practice. And they were more aggressive than Pittsburgh in this game. So it was truly pathetic, and that can't you can't have an offense that neutered. Even if Kenny's going to go out and throw three picks, you can't have an offense that neutered in the future if you want to be successful. I don't know, you know, how nuanced an owner looking at that game would be. I think, frankly, the simplest thing is he would sit there and say, "We lost the Browns," because owners like don't care. Like they, he doesn't care the Browns are a different team than they have been the last twenty years. Like in his mind, it's like we just lost the Cleveland Browns. 
what Kevin Stefanski did, and we talked about it a ton, that game plan for Dorian Thompson Robinson in this game compared to the Ravens game where he didn't really have time, there was so much you know, QB power that was successful throughout the entire second half of the game and high leverage moments for first downs. Obviously, moving the pocket a ton, um, you know, ton of zone read and, and, and options and different ways to make basically just take make it like he would make one or two decisions per play, if that, in in, in most situations, and that was all they needed to do. Um, but like you know, like it, it actually is insane that like they were able to cater a game plan to a rookie fifth rounder, third string basically quarterback in a week against a good defense in Pittsburgh than Pittsburgh's been able to do after a season and a half. So I do think the big thing is more personnel. I had a couple conversations about Buffalo when they fired Ken Dorsey, obviously the first offensive coordinator to go because Joe Brady in his historically has done different things than what Ken Dorsey and Buffalo and Dable's offense has been. Um, but they were telling me the people I spoke with said historically, that's the, probably the bigger thing you can do is just change who you actually deploy. It's kind of hard to change the scheme and, and make wholesale changes to your playbook and things of that nature. Because um, Brady's like big on 22, 21 personnel, like 13, heavy set, like all different things he does. Going back to not really LSU, they were just kind of empty because they were just better athletes than everyone. But, you know, you look when he was in Carolina, the different things they did that were at times successful. I will say the one thing for me, though, that I would consider is – and I know Kenny himself may not be super comfortable with it. He, he did it. He talked about he's done it sophomore year of college. He was more under center. I mean, Canada probably wanted to be even more under center than they were. So maybe I'm just kind of approaching this wrong. But you talked about his pocket presence and his footwork, I think, is as bad as it's been since I started watching him play. And if you timed up, I think there was a cool thread, actually, from Kurt Warner talking about this. And, and just one of the many reasons why offense is struggling this year. Why they have five and seven step drops from under center is to time it up with the routes that guys are running to where when you get to the top of your drop, it's around the time you take one hitch and a guy is hitting his break and you can get the ball out. I just think right now with how he is under shotgun so often and then kind of just dances around and bounces around back there, plays some dance dance revolution and then tries to zip one off of his back foot or like it's yeah. not working. And so maybe right. if you had concepts where it was just like you're going to get to your five or seven step drop. And then you're going to take a hitch and then here is where you're going with the football. I just think it would help settle him down because it wasn't always that bad with him. Um, the last point you mentioned, when we talk about and get yelled at by, and it's not just Steelers fans, but like what is sustainable and what is, you know, more likely to continue to happen versus what is not. One of the biggest things we talk about of a quarterback play is how do you perform in the pocket, in a clean pocket without pressure versus yeah, the outside of structure stuff is great. It's fun. It elevates your ceiling. You elevate your floor by being a good pocket passer in a clean pocket. I know the highlights in ESPN are not Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen throwing pocket balls eight yards down the field. It's when they go crazy and scramble around. That's not their bread and butter. That is the additional, you know, added on at the, at the very end, the whipped cream on top of the Sunday. Pickett needs to get back to just the fundamentals of playing pocket pocket quarterback. And that's what you can actually carry forward into following years because it's more sustainable than the, you know, the, the off kilter stuff. Yeah, for sure. That I mean, that's where a lot of this stems from. The the vertical play, and that can include more shots down the field for sure. Like they need yeah. more chunk plays out of the offense. That was actually said. I forget who said it after this past game might have been Tom even I don't I don't remember, but um needing chunk plays is like a huge part of obviously where they're at offensively this season. Out of 38 qualifying quarterbacks uh, per PFF, uh, Kenny Pickett's the completion of his or the percentage, sorry, of his pass attempts that have gone 20 air yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage, 7.8%. That is 
35th out of 38 this season. He's only had 22 such attempts. He's only completed six. By the way, uh, I said he was 7.8%. Two guys below him haven't even played 10 games. <laughs> Daniel Jones and Bryce Young, he has played 10 games. And so, yeah, it is, it's pretty miserable right now in the vertical passing game. Yes, his completion percentage and the justice completion percentage are also near the bottom of the league. He has not been accurate. Also, there's been very few small percentage of his game this year has been those kinds of throws. Even last year, that was better, right? I mean, even last year, that was a part of his game that certainly it wasn't ever amazing. But just to give you some idea of the numbers um, on what he was in the deep portion, deep area of the field, he was instead last year, it was 12.1% of his attempts. So up from 7.8% of his attempts. And he wasn't necessarily super accurate on those. He also had a, quite a few drops on those. So you know, it was an area where you were like, okay, well, at least they can hit these explosives the game. It's amazing how few opportunities Pickens has gotten down the field. As one of the best, I mean, in his sample size, has been one of the best vertical receivers in the NFL. So to me, this is largely about Pickett, but this is also about getting those wide receivers back to a place where they can be productive. It is unbelievable to have two guys. Their, their wide receivers produce like the Panthers wide receivers or the Patriots wide receivers or the Chiefs clowns. Like <laughs> those guys, that's what they're producing. Like they're that's what they're going to use. Like, and these guys are way more talented than that. I'm not even saying they're like top 10 guys in the league, but they're in that next 10, like both of them. They have that kind of ability. I don't know. Pickens can be a hothead and he isn't like the world's best full all around route runner, but he's certainly good enough. And Deontay Johnson will drop some balls and he'll run backwards after some catches. I'm not every Steeler person that's ever been good basically is a polarizing individual with extreme, you know, highs and lows, extreme variance to them. I get that. Like, I'm not saying they aren't, I'm just saying their talent is unbelievable and you have to get them tons of touches and targets throughout the game. That has to be a staple of your offense. And it's been like an afterthought of the Steelers offense. Um, the ignorance of the middle of the field, that could be a change too, Brad. Like all of those kind of things can change. Can you find a way to get guys the ball more, get the ball in their hands more in a variety of ways? That was something Canada has just been so bad at over the years is, you know, Todd Haley for all that he got criticized. He always found a way to get the ball into the hands of his best players. Like the, there were play sequencing and play calling issues for sure with him, but he found ways within the design of his offense. This is my game plan. I will not go down without getting the ball to my best players. That just has been completely missing in Pittsburgh. They make no effort to get the ball into their hands of their best players from a game plan perspective. And that has been such a downfall of this offense over the years. you got to ride or die with those players, and they just haven't done it. And so that part has to change, I think. And perhaps utilizing the middle of the field can, can change that, if Kenny's willing to do that, at least. I actually think all of these concepts are tied together, too. So first, using the middle of the field and explosive plays. In today's NFL, with all the too high coverage, if you want to have explosive plays down in downfield passing game, it's going to have to include a lot of attacking over the middle of the field. Like That is where you're going to have some ability uh, to, to attack. And then I think it also kind of ties into my point. The, the biggest reason why I do think they need to have more threat of a run game, especially now that, A, it's working, you know, because of Jalen Warren, but also because, you know, we've talked about it. There has been growth in the run game. Kenny Pickett's EPA per dropback when it's a light box versus a heavy box is basically the same thing. And I think that is because even when they do face heavy boxes, which you know is more conducive to passing, it means there's more guys coming in, you know, in theory defending the run and assuming you're going to either run the ball or you know do something near the line of scrimmage, that's when he should be able to hit these explosives. But 
He's in shotgun, so it probably they immediately drop back and bail and, and don't actually come up and play, um, you know, because they don't use it, utilize it often enough. And then there you'll probably have Tampa two linebackers dropping or, or whoever it is that's taking away that area. But if you actually marry the concepts together and actually have a threat of doing those things, I think then he can throw over the top and attack the middle of the field at the intermediate and deep level. So I really do think explosives, middle of the field and different concepts of where you just start the play and Kenny starts the snap. I think all three of those things actually would improve together, um, you, you know, if they kind of worked in unison. But, yeah, it's just not – like you said, like the, the, George Pickens and, and Deontay Johnson having stats in line with those guys, it's just it, – it's it's dumbfounding. It's, it, it should be borderline impossible for that to happen. Yeah, it really should be. Um, and honestly, to this point that you're saying, like, it, well, you wonder what psychologically what the effect was having on Kenny, like – at least, even though Kenny was not very good last year still, at least he was throwing the ball. He was like actually attempting passes. Like he, this is nothing like this. Yesterday's game was like, or Sunday's game was just like the most embarrassing. It, it was nothing. Like he wasn't like he was killing them by like making all these dumb throws or dumb mistakes. He just wasn't throwing the ball or like he either wasn't throwing the ball or he was just checking it down every single time. It was like, okay, this is just like unsustainable. Nobody wants to watch this. This is ridiculous. Or it was like drop back one read, one side of the field, you're throwing the ball. This guy will be open to the concept and will gain four yards. It's like, how can this be the goal? Like this cannot be the goal. This cannot be what we're aiming for as an offense. And so by thinking so small all the time, you've missed the opportunity to think big as an offense. And hopefully that's some of what they can return to. You mentioned play action. I'm not sure how much more of that they'll lean into this year. They they definitely should and need to, but Kenny, is he that comfortable with it? His play fakes have not been very good this year. He's kind of constantly turning early to try and get a peek at the defense a little bit, which some of the masters have done that over the years. Brady would always take a little peek over his shoulder as he was faking the hand off, but he was still like good ball handler, you know? So anyway, I, I just don't know how much of that he's going to, is they're great concepts. If he isn't good enough to do those things, it's an indictment of him. He may not be good enough to do those things, which may be an indictment of him. That's basically what I'm saying at this point. Also, how much do the concepts they have build off of play action fakes or, or marry with play action fakes um, because they've utilized them in the field so little this season? Um, is there something they can do more of? Is that an easy tweak? Is that a hard? I don't know. So there's a lot of unknown, like into what all they could install or could lean into. Have there been parts of their offense that players are ready to run that, they haven't run for whatever reason. Uh, big issue also is Kenny being so much more uncomfortable against zone coverage. Big reason why Cleveland had so much success in this game and probably saw that in the tape is just like, this is a guy that does not throw with anticipation. He does not throw to spots expecting receivers to be there. That's a huge issue with Kenny that he needs to clean up. As little as there is in terms of availability and options over the middle of the field, when you watch the tape of the Steelers, there's also a handful of plays every game where you're just like, Kenny, you just got to throw that ball. You got to throw it in the middle of the field. You got to throw it into a window and that's where your receivers run to. And that's how you play football in the NFL. And if you can't do it, you can't play quarterback in the NFL. It really is that simple. People don't want to hear it that simple because the guy can make a throw, you know, 40 yards down the field against man coverage and drop it in over a corner, right into Pickens hands when he's asked to do that. And I get it. That's a great thing to have in your quiver. If you can't play against zone coverage and you can't throw in the middle of the field into those windows, dropping linebackers, safeties, layer the ball, you can't play quarterback in the NFL. It just isn't going to happen. So he's got to also be able to do it. Hopefully they attack and ask him to do it more. If he fails at it, you've got your answer by the end of the season. That's what I like most about this move, Brad, is that no longer can you go the full season and say it was just Matt Canada, although it definitely was. Matt Canada, you can't just say it was just that and Kenny would be great. You can't live in that imaginary world, which 
is never the case anyway. These things are always – when you're this incompetent on offense for this long, it's always multiple things. If you had a great quarterback, no way would you have gone this long without 400 yards. You would have fought, you would have stumbled into one. Like, they would have happened, especially with these receivers. They're good enough for that to happen. Um, and same thing with the OC. Like, if you had, you know, a competent OC, they would have yeah. found a way even with Kenny to be able to, to, to get that done, you know, definitely a few times over the last couple of years. So there's no doubt it's both. But this allows it to see, okay, what's Kenny look like without Canada? And yeah, you could say Solomon will be bad, maybe, and and that Faulkner will be bad, and that yeah, you know, sure, that's fine. No, but it becomes a lot harder to continue making excuses for Kenny, which brings us closer to what I think the end game of this will be for the Steelers: move on from both of them, fresh start at both spots, and then the pressure's back on Tomlin unless he gets fired, which I don't think is going to happen. Uh, the pressure's back on Tomlin to be able to get those two moves right, which he's consistently gotten wrong, inherited Roethlisberger and can says consistently gotten those moves wrong at those positions um, over the course of his tenure in Pittsburgh, especially since obviously Ben was done. Those have been the moves that have held the team back that he's continued to make mistakes on. And so that will be the pressure will be back on him to make that call. We can talk about that if that time comes, but that'll move the Steelers one step closer to the direction they need to go as a franchise, which is finding competency at both the most two most important positions on a team. 110%. Yeah. And I think that that's the key is that I do like, this is a big signal to me. Like, even if it's not great that it came from ownership, you know, as we, as we talked about, but if he understands like, okay, like I'm not going to have now the patience to just kind of do whatever I want. And if we're winning games, ownership's going to turn a blind eye and just be okay with it. Cause look, there are franchises that do that. I don't always try to bring out my fandom, but like, the Bears are on the same way, except for they don't they don't win football games and they still just kind of do it and are okay with it. So, like this to me was a huge, huge step in that direction. And I also wonder too, like talking about Weidel and Omar and all these people, they're also not neither of those guys are legacy Pittsburgh guys. I know Omar's been there forever, but like Omar started with the Saints. He's obviously been in Pittsburgh for 20 plus years now. Weidel's been, you know, with the Eagles and other buildings. And I do wonder if there is a time now where say, look, Tomlin, you are still making the ultimate decision on the OC hiring, but like, we're going to give you a short list and we're going to make that short list known to ownership as well. And if you just blatantly ignore the 10 names that we think are good names to be the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator and go hire your buddy, like that's not going to, it's not going to fly, right? Like it's not going to be like, you, you just yep. kind of run out of runway to do that over and over and over again. Um, And maybe it gets right this time that like we don't know. I'm not saying it's not impossible, but I think there hasn't even been pressure or like better way to put it. Like there hasn't even been stress of like, I hope I get this right. This It, it means a ton of, that I do get this right. If I don't, it, there are serious consequences. He's probably never felt that way. Cause he probably shouldn't have, have felt that way. Um, So yeah. And then the last piece, like, yes, I get that it's still going to be guys that were already in the building coaching this offense, but it's timed up with Broderick's emergence. Friar Moose now healthy Jalen Warren emerging as a top 10 running back in the NFL. Like Kenny's excuse list is really short at this point. If he's this level, the rest of the season, even if you'd say, okay, yeah, he he could be 20% better if he had Mike McDaniel calling his plays, but okay, well, yeah, but you still know his ceiling is extraordinarily low. So it doesn't really matter that he could have been marginally better. He's one of the lowest touchdown rates in the history of the NFL through how many games he's played. And again, we get that is not just Kenny Pickett. Um, but yes, good good quarterbacks, yeah, you know, are able to elevate and and overcome these things all the time. It, it happens a couple teams a year, every year in the in the NFL. And there could be lots of reasons for this, but we should probably address at some point the Byron Leftwich stuff will buzz about the Steelers. Like, oh, he's been out of the league this year, and so will he be of interest to them? And 
All of this stuff will be talked about in due time. We're not going to talk about names today for office coordinator. We need to see who's available. Frankly, there's so much unknown. Brad, you actually probably have a better vantage point than I do into a lot of like who's valued around the league or who's well-respected and some of those things. I don't really know. And play calling, play design, like a lot of these guys who end up being good at it have never done it before. So there's no way for me to know. So, you know, somebody who isn't a, a retread would be awesome to me. Like somebody who you know, hopefully thinks outside the game, thinks outside the box when it comes to the game and can be innovative, creative, uh, exciting. Everybody wants those things and everybody wants them for a reason. Those are the guys who are good. <laughs> so like, that's, that's what you want. Um, That's the prototype you're looking for. I don't know exactly who that would be at this point in time. Yeah. I'd be interested in Ken Dorsey. We'll see about Daryl Bevel, some names like that. Um, We can talk about all that stuff down the road. The left, which thing though, we've already had former players come out and say, this is the guy that should be the next guy for the Steelers. Plexico Burris, Willie Colon. Please don't listen to the clowns that are his friends. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, Those guys are just his friends. They want him to have another opportunity in the NFL. We already know from reporting, I believe Mark Aboli and some others maybe reported uh, that Byron Leftwich reached out to the Steelers about coming on as a, an assistant, a consultant this season, and the Steelers didn't return his call, basically, was what the report was. If you wanted Byron Leftwich to be a part of this equation eventually, getting him in the door this season and getting him to know Kenny to some capacity probably would have been a good idea. So safe to say, I don't know that they're going to go that way. Uh, that would surprise me a good bit, even though Tomlin is, yeah, his buddies, you know, like you said, um, I get it, but I will just say this about Brian Leftwich, his play sequencing, I believe was worse. I believe it was worse than Matt Canada, which is an astounding statement, but I, probably one of the worst play sequences I've ever seen in my life. His lack of creativity as a play caller and as a play designer to the extent that he even ever designed offense outside of Arians offense. And then once everybody, once Arians retired or after a couple of years, everyone's like, Oh, they're just running the same stuff again. Okay, cool. Like um, as somebody who studied every single Bucks tape for three years, um, his entire tenure there, uh, I couldn't believe how little changed over the three years. It was literally just like, we're good. We're good. We're bad. Cause everybody knows we're going to run the same stuff and the same spots and you aren't changing anything. Um, and so that was, I think, um, Probably one of the most frustrating, yeah, play, uh, coordinators to watch over my time there because uh, I think that obviously Brady did everything he could there, but uh, that would be a disaster in my opinion. Pittsburgh. Also, if you think Matt Canada with the media was a problem or just was a standoffish, prickly dude, oh buddy, <laughs> I get a taste of Byron Leftwich because this guy, whoa. and talk about un- non-progressive, probably one of the least progressive offensive coordinators I've ever covered in my time. I've ever encountered i mean does does not think i don't even think he knows what analytics are and mocks them at every single turn um so it would be a step in decidedly in the wrong direction for pittsburgh to go that route and i don't think it's gonna happen uh i think when a guy's out of the league the way that he's out of the league right now and not by choice and asking to get back in yeah i don't think he's gonna be an offensive coordinator anytime soon we'll see but doing that (laughs) after canada that would be wild it would be maybe the worst possible decision. And this is someone who like tried to guess him up and thought like Jaguars should have considered him as maybe a yeah. head coach before they made that decision. Um, just based on what we'd heard coming out of the building. And then, yeah, I think it was one of the worst OC jobs. Uh, yeah. Like you said, a young former quarterback coach, Tom Brady has the connections to all this stuff being out of the league speaks volumes. I'll throw in one name. Like you said, we'll get to this later, but um if you could convince a guy, because here's the thing, people are going to throw a bunch of names at us that I think are going to be head coaches. So that's not really going to work. But <laughs> what I would look at is offensive coordinators right now that are underneath offensive head coaches where they're not actually running the show. And then the number one name that jumps out to me 
And it's funny, he actually has some connections to this team a little bit, which isn't paramount, but let's be honest, it's a big part of this, this equation, is Frank Smith with the Miami Dolphins, who has been a name that we're starting to hear a little bit, even some to some degree as a head coach candidate. That, but Did you say Frank Reich? Frank Smith. No, 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 not Frank, Frank Reich. I know the buzz about Frank Reich potentially. Is he on the hot seat? You know, that. I didn't know if he He's was definitely going. on the hot seat, and he definitely should not be on the Pittsburgh Steelers list of potential yeah, offensive sure. coordinators. Sure. Um, and I thought he was a good hire by Carolina, and that offense has been a travesty. Yeah. Um, so, and just zero creativity and just nothing. Um, Frank Smith is the OC with the Dolphins mm-hmm. in that Shanahan tree. Yeah. Um, but he's bounced around a bunch was with the Saints, with the Bears for a while, as tight ends coach. He actually was at Miami of Ohio for a year with Ben Roethlisberger, so they probably know each other. Oh, uh, he was like a, a grad assistant for his last year in college, which is kind of oh. a funny connection. But that's not at all why I think it's a good hire. Um, he is – I like that he's been in a bunch of different areas. He apparently came from – like not from a Shanahan disciple type of background whatsoever, but has now, of course, folded that into what he does. He's the run game coordinator under Mike McDaniel, which – like Mike McDaniel would be the best run game coordinator in football of the last five years. And even Kyle Shanahan would tell you that like when he was with him, like that, that was his bread and butter receivers coach, run game, all that stuff. Anyway, um, I would throw that name out there as, as one name that I would think is very interesting that would maybe take an OC job because it's like a B enemy, right? right? Where it's like, you're under the shadow of an offensive play calling head coach, mm-hmm. go somewhere where Tomlin will let you do your entire thing by yourself um, and if you do well, you're probably a head coach in two years. I think that is one name that I, I'm, I'm very interested in. Hmm. Yeah, that will be an interesting one to watch for sure. We'll definitely talk and focus on this pretty heavily down the line because I think it's very unlikely that Mike Sullivan or Eddie Faulkner becomes the long-term offensive coordinator of this team. Maybe nothing would surprise me with the Steelers. Truly, almost nothing would. Um, that I mean that very sincerely. Like Tomlin has just tanked this very important hire and gotten progressively worse at it uh, over the years. So what direction, what he'll learn from those mistakes, what direction he'll go with this hire, how he'll think, I really, truly have no idea. So lots to learn there. Let's get into this game just a little bit. Jalen Warren, I wanted to talk about just because it's one of the only positive things from this game, Brad. What an absurd performance. And we went over these stats last week, and now we've kind of got the opportunity to look at him again a little bit here. Um, his yards per, at, per attempt this season, 6.2 now, first First in the NFL, a full yard above second place. <laughs> a full yard. Yards after contact per attempt, 4.44. First in the NFL. Second place of just 3.64 yards <laughs> after contact per attempt. I mean, not even close. It's almost a full yard ahead of second place. Force missed tackles, 33. Fourth. By the way, the running backs ahead of him, all of them have 70 or more carries. Than he does this season. He's 80 carries, Brad. 80 carries. He's got 33 force of his tackles. This is insanity. Like the, there's no words for this. 10 plus yard runs. He's fifth. The running backs ahead of him on the list, 53 plus or more carries than he does. 53 or more carries than, than Jalen Warren does. What he's doing right now is simply one of the best running back seasons we have seen in a per carry basis. You could say volume, the 2,000 yard rushers, like obviously all that's going to be remembered. Who knows if Warren will even get to 1,000 yards, how much they lean into him the rest of the way. But to this point in this season, on a per carry basis, on a per touch basis, this isn't even talking about as a receiver, where he's eighth in yak, despite his A dot being like two full yards behind the line of scrimmage, he's tied for first in missed tackles forced amongst all running backs in the passing game despite the fact that he's not even a full-time player in his position. All of this, like it is one of the best seasons we have seen from a running back. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to continue. It's just saying to this point on a per-touch basis, that is 
the stats, the film, they don't lie. It's unbelievably true. And if this is, we're not even talking about like the peak 49ers rushing attacks or the Browns rushing attacks or this all offensive line with all these stars on it. No, this dude is creating for himself. Imagine if this was like an elite O-line, what he could be doing. It's, it's a special thing what he's doing this season. The last three week stretch is like legitimately like an all time stretch of three games for running back. Like it truly is like 240 is. yards after contact in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, he has 24 missed tackles in three weeks. Um, he has what was it, 13 explosive rushes of 10 plus yards in three weeks. And in this past game, we had of his 129 rushing yards, we had 122 of those after contact. Like he did it entirely by himself in this game in particular. There were some great holes in the past two games, but this past, yeah. I mean, against the Cleveland Browns defense, that was top 10. We talked about top 10 in every run defense metric you could possibly imagine. Um, it's 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 incredible and, and still has nine carries to, to Najee's 12. <laughs> it's also pretty funny, and I don't want to move on from Warren too quickly, but we got to keep moving because we want to touch on a couple other things before we wrap up. It's just uh, pretty telling, I feel like, that the Steelers uh, – actually, they did, I feel like, in the ground game against Cleveland. They pretty well – they won the battle, I think, on the offensive line in the ground game. And then on the defensive side, they dominated, dominated against the Browns' rushing attack. Um, very impressive performance on tape. A lot of players to talk about over there. Um, we get to them just to touch on briefly at least. But really impressive performance by them, I think, overall. And yet, what, 10 points? <laughs> and they lose the game and it just shows the show stop of the run being good at running the ball it's valuable it helps doesn't mean anything if you can't stop the pass when it matters and they didn't want it mattered you know there was definitely like a, a more good against obviously in this game given the where the browns were at as a passing offense there was going to be uh browns also had six drops in this game i is that the most by i mean the chiefs may have beat it last night with their performance um what's the most I wonder if it's the most drops per – you all are – PFF are very lenient on what drops are in my We opinion. are. It's hard. Right. Yes, it's it's hard to get a drop in our system. Yeah. So, so to have six that you guys put down in one game – like I think Njoku from my watch had four or five and what I would consider drops. You guys put him with three in one game. That's unbelievably bad, by the way. I don't even think he's been that big of a drop issue. But And I wonder how where that ranks among games this year. And none of those so I know the Ravens, the Ravens had seven in the uh, Steelers game that we talked about, which game. was the most since like 2019. So it's, okay. it's really, it is like you said, it's funny. It's like we, everyone yeah. says we give too many pressures. We really, it is hard for us to give a drop. We really lean to like, it's yeah. hard to isolate. Was the defender making a play? Was the throw me not perfectly accurate? It'll still, you probably still get a minus a half if you don't catch yeah. the ball because we think you should have, but like a flat out drop, like, you know, minus one, minus yeah. one and a half, like it's pretty hard to do. Um, there was another team this week that also had six. Um, I'm blanking out who it was. Say it again. The Chiefs last night had to be. It was even before that. It was even before that game. So it was a, it was a big week for drops across the NFL. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. Oh, think it was now. the Chargers. The Chargers had a bunch at least. There we go. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes, it was a charge. And Keenan Allen had three of those, uh, including two of them that should have been touchdowns. And then obviously Quentin Johnson just just being Quentin Johnson. But yeah, not a good, not a good week for pass catchers across the NFL. Yeah. Now I will say I'm not going to pretend like the Browns lost a ton of value on some of these drops. Like some were, they were all yeah. underneath. I think they were all under 10 yards. Like almost every pass attempt in the game for them. And a lot of them were like short of the sticks on down distance. So it wasn't, that's why nobody like was really hyping after the game. And, and rightfully so this wasn't a game where although they had six drops, lost a ton of value on those drops. There was one that went off in Joku Sands on, I think the penultimate drive of the game for Cleveland offensively, that would have been a first down because Killebrew went, they ran actually a, a really creative route concept 
uh, where Njoku, they stacked a release and Njoku went, started to stem outside. And so Killebrew like flew outside. Like he thought it was going to be an out route, basically like a slant flat thing or something like that. And instead Njoku just wheeled and kind of pivoted like an inside, like pivoted back into the middle of the field and then just dropped the ball. He had a space to catch and run. It would have been a first down for sure. They were in their own territory. They went back and ran the same play on the game winning drive and he caught it and got like 13 yards on the play. And uh, so Pittsburgh didn't adjust at all. We'll talk about Terrell Austin and uh, his potential firing down the road. Um, but for now, I think uh, let's focus just the, yeah, the fact that they were able to win in the trenches on both sides of the ball, more or less. We'll talk about the pass rush a little bit um, and the pass protection. They did not lose in the pass protection battle. I felt like um, Roger Jones. Yeah. Just, it wasn't great. Like, some of it's Kenny, like he's so bad in the pocket. Some of it, like there's enough time. Kenny's thrown quick, and so there's enough time for it to get ugly, but it doesn't like look good a lot of the time. He's oversetting some. Dan Moore is a complete travesty. Barely even touched Miles Garrett on many reps. Like you got to at least have somebody that can hit the guy. Like some of the reps were just completely ridiculous. So that's where it stems from me wondering if Dan Moore's time after a game like that finally comes to an end with a new OC change. We'll see. That's the thing you can you can hope you can dream. Yeah, he was the left side is is what we had as as more views. When I watched the film, I actually thought Sumalo may have had his worst game as a pass protector. Um, it more goes without yeah. saying. And, and like you said, the two sacks from Miles. I mean, it literally was a turnstile. Like we make that joke a lot, but like more not being there would not have changed how quickly Miles Garrett got to the quarterback. Um, but yeah, a small struggle. I mean, too. maybe I, like how quickly yeah. you would have gotten there, but how quickly? I don't know. I'd like to think Broderick <laughs> athletically at least could have like hit him contact him. no no i'm saying more versus no one was the oh, same versus no yeah, one. <laughs> yeah like more like it was literally just like not actually there yeah no i think it would and, and i look if chucks's comments were tied to how bad the offense has been and then you fire the guy who's calling the offense you'd like to think they're like okay well we still don't like that you spoke out against our coach and, and whatever but we also agree with you three weeks later so maybe you can start playing again it makes I forgot sense to all me, about least. that <laughs> yeah Jukes was just brave enough to say, hey, we might as well punt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he was the one. He, yeah, like he was the first catalyst. Oh, if you find the guy, he Chukes gotta walk into Tom's office and be like, look, again, I learned my lesson. I should I apologize. However, <laughs> that said, I was right. Let, yeah, exactly. Let exactly. Know, let this guy know. stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. Oh, what a hero. I hope Jukes is back in there. I actually didn't have any feeling for Jukes in all the five whatever years he's played in Pittsburgh until this moment now. And I'm realizing, yeah, I definitely hope he's back in there. Right, tackle. Um, you know, Broderick and left. That gives you your best chance to win, I think, uh, with those two guys in there, get damn more out of the paint. Yeah, see him all you know, the issues have become more like he's fine when he's like the the you know, third or fourth, your fifth, you know, worst guy in your in your offensive line or whatever. If, but when he has to be the best guy on an offensive line, that's when it becomes hard. I will say James Daniels playing the best ball I've seen him play in Pittsburgh. Yes. Back from that injury, he's looked awesome. Uh, Mason Cole, not good in pass protection, but, man, some of the second-level blocks in the run game in this game, some he had three or four that were just really good. The touchdown run, um, he sprung uh, Warren with that block down the field, actually got in the way of the safety, too, because he controlled Taki Taki, uh, or however you say his last name, um, so greatly. Um, that it kind of like ran interference in that way too is allowed Warren to get free. So uh, some guys playing, definitely playing better as a group in the run game. There were issues in pass protection, like Mason Cole snaps were off to the right of Kenny Pickett all game. And Kenny Pickett had to like one hand and like the all 22 was really obvious, like how many bad snaps there were in the game. Um, so don't have any idea what's up with that. Um, there were issues with protection. Like they would slot or setting the protection is actually one of the biggest things. I wonder if it will improve how much control does Kenny have? 
How much does he even understand? Some of the protections just make no sense for the look they're getting pre-snap. And I wonder how quickly he can make those adjustments or if Cole does, or if that comes like Canada coaches them on how they want to do things and he's going to get the ball. I'm not really sure, but some of the protections they run, they just allow free runners and make it really hard on running backs and protection or just pick it, being able to get the ball out. Um, some guys came in untouched and it was like, that was just, everybody was just doing their job. And that's how the protection worked. It was like, dude, you can't slide four to the left. If somebody's in the B gap and, and, you know, you've seen on tape, they're coming, you know, 95% of the time or whatever. Like, so there are some big issues in that way that they need to fit, clean some things up, but offensively, the passing game was just a complete disaster. Like there was nothing threatening. They threw a lot of what they wanted to throw. Kenny missed things. He didn't um, didn't hit guys wide open over the middle of the field. Some of the concepts are just so ridiculously static and boring and non-threatening to teams. They ran tons of man beaters despite the fact that the game went on and they were getting zone coverage. They were just running right into it. And Kenny was throwing things like it was man. I'm like, this isn't man. What are you doing? Like, this is a different defensive coverage. Like, it was pretty crazy to watch that level of incompetence in the NFL. Like they've had some bad performances. I mean, so many, but this was up there with the worst of them. Like outside of Warren's effort, that is pretty much one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen. Yeah, we. T- I remember talking about how good the Browns are in press, but they don't play a ton of man. Like they play probably maybe like relative to the league, they're maybe in the middle of the pack. But I, I didn't have that thinking as well. Where I was like, have they not realized that like Schwartz has shown like quarters and quarters cover yeah. two, like a, a bunch of he plays a ton of cover three, I think as well off the top of my head. Like, but there was a stretch where I was like, you are seeing two high shells that is either quarters or cover two. Like I think it was like the third quarter, and I was like, they not know like like like. And Schwartz, I don't even think rotated as much as he normally does. Like I think he was just sitting in what he wanted to do, and the Steelers just kept spamming the same concepts. The one last thing I did want to say because he gets a lot of flack on this show. There was a down block on a gap scheme. I think it was on Ogbakaranko from Allen Robinson that I think was one of the better blocks of the day. I think he actually had a really good game as a run blocker in this game. He did. I remember that one down block, and there was one other play, and I just pulled up his grade. It's a good run blocking grid, so I guess the, the graders saw it the same way. But but he needed to get a shout-out, a well-deserved shout-out to A-Rob for some good run blocking. <laughs> well, yeah, they've simplified what he's being asked to do a little bit, like which has helped a lot. He's not like – in a wing position, basically, I guess to like, yeah. And he has a much better understanding of what he's doing too, which is how most of his best blocking comes in space or cracking or things like that. I guess they have that motion where they motion him and then he roots out the linebacker. Yep. Yep. Now like, okay. A couple of times, like, you know, like he, he gets in the way at least now, like he knows he doesn't get through the hole. And it's like, wait, who am I supposed to hit? Like, so that part's improved. It probably couldn't have gotten worse, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, they feel like they have a little bit better. I mean, the run game, some things did get figured out. There's no doubt. Like it's just still, you know, it's the the overall picture. If you can't throw the ball, you just don't have a chance. It's just the way that the NFL is. So um, that's kind of offensively. We've talked about Kenny enough that like, I want to jump to the defense because I know we got to get out of here probably in the next couple of minutes for you. Um, The defensive front seven really dominant performance. And it wasn't just the stars, although Benton and Hayward were awesome and Watt was awesome as a run defender in this game as well highsmith made some great plays in this game pretty much everybody actually who would you say played poorly defensively for pittsburgh would you say anybody against the run in particular really nobody anybody out what's that yeah against the run in particular i don't think anybody yeah i'm trying to think even against the pass like when the browns did have a completion you know there were a couple times joey porter jr and amari cooper had a great battle I'll talk about that in a second mm-hmm. um but yeah, I don't think anyone. No, you're right. I don't think anyone had a bad. And again, maybe a little bit of, because it was DTR. But no, I don't think anyone on defense had a bad outing. 
Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it makes sense. You give up 13 points, you should win the game. Most of the time, the Browns didn't have that many yards. I forget how many yards of offense they had. But the last drive, you know, I could basically go through real quick, like, what they were. Like, yeah, Killebrew, I think, was in coverage on the Joku and Joku catch. Um, Joey yeah. Porter Jr. and Mari Cooper had awesome battle throughout the game. There was a couple times early he had – Cooper had releases. And at the top of his route, he left Porter, like, off balance a little bit and was able to create separation – um, this is what this is maybe the best route runner releaser in the league. Like some other stuff with Cooper, I'd say maybe isn't like an elite level player, but like he's one of he's in that conversation. If you're just talking about pure releases and routes, um, he's one of the best in the league. So very tough assignment for Porter. Uh, you and I talked going into the game. We actually thought this was going to be a game where he got cooked up a little bit, maybe with a better quarterback that would have been taken advantage of. But the tape sure. honestly looked pretty de- like there were times where Porter seemed to kind of get it a little bit and grow as the game went on. I mean, the fade ball for Cooper in the end zone, he makes the play on that one without fouling. Um, I thought as the game went on, he got better at playing Cooper without fouling, even on plays where Cooper wasn't targeted. And then obviously the slant route, he breaks on the balls behind Cooper. But even if it was out in front of him, Porter's making a play at the catch point. Like, I don't know whether he's, you know, Porter Cooper's able to squeeze it or not, but the ball be mine and Porter's able to find the ball. He also didn't get there too early, which was good. He read it early enough but he slowed up so he could make a play on the ball rather than just hit the guy early and get a flag. So he he's kind of uh, learning in his recklessness a little bit, like when to be patient, a little more patient, which I think is good. He's been pretty patient at the catch point, not being too eager there this year. Um, and deflects the ball, Sullivan picks it off. Then later, the game-winning drive, they put Cooper in the slot. Porter falls into the slot. They have Cooper do like an outside-inside release. Sick, sick move. Yeah. Like yeah. special type move. It gets inside a Porter makes the catch, gets eight yards. That's it. Porter recovered well to make the tackle. But when that down in distance, they really only needed about eight. And then they hit Njoku on that concept I was talking about earlier on the next play. So, yeah, I mean, the 15-yarder to start the drive, you're in spot drop coverage. Like, it sucks. It's a bad call, in my opinion. Not sending pressure and forcing the ball out quick and trying to see, like, I thought it was a bad call. So I I didn't like that part of it, I think, because you saw the game plan go on and you realized – Okay, DTR, and they blitzed some. They did 33%. This should have been, to me, should have been a game where they blitzed even more because the ball was just coming out so quick with DTR that if you get hands in his face, rattle him, uh, things like that, you could almost position where the ball was going to go. And as the game went on, they started to jump everything. They knew where everything was going, right? I mean, Sullivan jumped around and had a pass breakup. Peterson had two. Porter had the one that became the interception. Um, Robert started having them as well, where he was getting there for the tackle right away. Like they started realizing, oh, we're just going to jump everything. You know, maybe if they'd realized that from the outset of the game or before, you know, the first couple drives of the game, they would have had even less than the 13 points they allowed because the Browns had 10 when they started to realize it. But it's hard to blame the defense for this one. Really, across the board, I thought they played a really strong game. Especially the guys that just came in. Like, Trenton Thompson had a um, pass break up at one point. Probably could have had a pick uh, as well. He dropped a pick six. Yeah, he dropped – yeah, he probably should have. I said I could have. And then I thought Michael Walker was pretty solid too. Like, you know. Absolutely. uh, so yeah, no, like you said, it really was a good effort. Yeah, the Cooper, the uh, it was the, it was the right slot on the, in the early on in the in the last drive. Yeah, that that was a nasty route. But I think to the Porter point, one last thing too is, I think when he does jam now, and especially against a receiver like Cooper, I think what he's done better of is, it's like an open handed jam where it's not a jam and grab. You still want to bump the guy, but I think in the beginning of his NFL career and even some late Penn State tape, like his jams would also come with like getting on the jersey. And if a receiver had a good enough, like, shaking, like, they would get, like, you know, even though it's within five yards, you still can't just grab the guy at the line of scrimmage. And so I think now he knows how to punch without actually holding on to the player. 
Um, and I think it worked on Cooper. Like there were three or four reps, like nothing crazy, but where I was like, he was clearly DTR's first or second read in a concept. And because of what happened at the line of scrimmage, DTR just moved on pretty quickly because he was like, yeah, Cooper's not going to get enough separation by the time I'm ready to throw. Um, I thought, no, Porter stepped up. We I did not think this was going to be a good matchup for him. And I thought he, even with the context of it's DTR, um, I thought he played pretty well. I did too. Uh, on seven dog milk, um, played a great game for the second straight week, limited snaps. He's been standing up doubles against the run. He's been hustling down the line of scrimmage and making stops. Armand Watts was awesome in this game. I was, I mean, he's never been bad, but he's just usually neutral. But he was stacking and shedding guys. And I mean, Batonio and Wyatella look like shells of themselves, I felt like in this game. We talked yeah. about that a little bit going in. They haven't quite had their best seasons. Like, I mean, Watts bull rushed Batonio back into DTR on the on the 15-yard throw that started the game-winning drive for the Browns, Watts was in DTR's lap in like an instant in that play. Like against a Pro Bowl, maybe All-Pro, I don't know, or Batoni, I forget, oh, yeah. guard. Like, yeah, All-Pro, he's one. It's, I mean, it was really impressive performance by those guys. Thought they were awesome. You mentioned Thompson, broke on a route that should have been a pick six as a safety. I thought he's looked better than KZ or Neal has looked all season. So I'm excited to see more of that. One game sample size, I don't know. We'll see. Preseason was a little bit all over the place, but I think that there's uh, definitely potential there. Buzz down, refill the alley against the run many times in this game, uh, made tackles around the line of scrimmage. No fear in the flats and on the perimeter uh, DTR run. He stuck DTR after a gain of a couple on the sideline, uh, which was an impressive play. Yes, I think it was a technically a drop by Njoku in the end zone on that back shoulder fade, but he made it real tough. He was kind of all over it, got his hand around, played the catch point pretty well. Um, I give him some credit for that play too. Re just really good play from a guy who's barely played in the NFL. Like that was really impressive. You mentioned Michael Walker. I couldn't believe how well he played, how yeah. aggressive, how certain of his responsibilities he looked, how much communication was happening with Ian and Landon Roberts pre-snap. The fact that they were not once lined up wrong against the run on tape, um, really encouraging the fact that Pittsburgh suddenly been able to get these linebackers in here playing well. Walker's obviously been a good player in coverage in the past. I thought he played great against the run. He was stacking and shedding blockers. He was sticking his nose in constantly. He missed a tackle down near the goal line, but he broke. The, he, he slipped through the line and was able to um, hit the back enough to slow him down so that others could get there and bring him down. And so I just thought he played awesome for a guy who's probably going to be relied on a good bit here uh, moving yeah. forward. That was very encouraging to see. So they'll be tested more by more dynamic passing attacks and offenses that have more on the table for sure. And the last thing I'll say, I think the Alandon Roberts free agent signing, I actually want to fight whoever graded this game for PFF and, and fight the run <laughs> defense grade that they gave him, Brad. I need to fight this. Um, but I just thought he was awesome <laughs> in this game. It consistently like coming downhill, dumping blockers, um, sticking people in the run game. Uh, he's been so aggressive in that way, but his coverage play, Brad, like, yeah. run into the flats and make an open field tackles with no hesitation you know like i mean he had nine stops in this game and i know his overall grade for bff was good and, and understandably so like nine stops in this game and some of them were in space against cream hunt like one-on-one -on -one. and i know it's not prime hunt but it was a really impressive game from Landon roberts so there was just so much to like about what they did defensively if they have even a semi-competent offensive performance it's probably an easy win, but they just didn't. And so, unfortunately, no one will remember how good this defensive performance really was. Now, DTR, I get it. Like, I'm not saying it was like a buzzsaw they faced. But, yeah, they were still really good.
seven of those nine defensive stops for Roberts were in coverage. So I guess you know goes to why that grade was so good. Like coverage doesn't always miss, just mean like pass breakups and stuff like that. I hear you though. I, I don't. Yeah, because he allowed eleven break. catches. Right, but only right. 49 yards on the catches for four and a half yards per catch he allowed right, for BFF, right. which, yeah, just shows like how much he's improved in that regard. He's never going to be this greatest athlete, but his anticipation and being able to get there before things happen were really good. But no, I just like to, I've, I'm, I'm joking about the run stuff, but I just like, oh, this I, tape agree with you on that one. <laughs> I thought he was like, he really came downhill pretty hard on tape consistently. And even when he couldn't fit, in the space to make a tackle like he was like getting involved in there and clogging up space so the backs couldn't see anything and just got bottled up constantly everybody was winning nobody got moved off the ball game and the run game that was probably the most encouraging thing for me especially against this unit for sure like if we're going to context adjust dtr like yeah if you're going to bully these guards in this offensive line in the run game that's also equally as impressive um he played 75 snaps in this game too which does get to my gripe and i know it's a weekly gripe but tj watt 73 snaps Alex Highsmith, 66 snaps. Marcus Golden, eight. Nick Herbig, three. I mean, you just like, you're at the end of the game trying to pass rush to, to, st- and, like, it's just, it's just, you can't do it. Like, I just make that 65 and 15. It's just, it's insane to me. It really is. It is, especially with how much their defense is on the field and how fast yeah. they are back on the field because the offense goes three and out so much. You're just putting tired players out on the field and ask them to do things they're not capable of doing now. I actually thought watching the tape again, the Browns threw in 2.15 seconds in this game, Brad. Mm-hmm. 2.15 seconds. Complete insanity. John Costco, uh, one of the PFF guys, like he was telling me that that was the, I think, fifth fastest this season, which I was like, what? I guess the Dolphins have had three faster, which when yep. you think about their offense, that maybe makes some sense. But that was, I mean, to see 2.15 is not something I've seen very often. Um, and so that was a huge factor in this. You know, all Browns people I know are talking about you know, shutting down T.J. Watt and shutting down Alex Heisman. And I get it. Watt had four pressures in this game, and he had basically 10 opportunities and 45 dropbacks to actually impact the pocket. I thought yeah. DeWan Jones did pretty good against him. I continue to think DeJuan Jones is really good. Like, I thought he was coming out of the draft. I thought it was – I know there was some character stuff maybe, and we'll see if that ever manifests itself, but I thought he should have been picked higher than a lot of other tackles. I frankly had him ranked above Broderick Jones, and I think – He's looked better this season. We'll see if that continues. Obviously, Broderick's ceiling is probably sky high, so you're not going to judge that until after a couple of years. Um, Broderick did some good things in this game as well. But, yeah, I thought that he did a pretty good job. They were rotating. For some reason, I have no idea why. James Hudson and Dewan Jones in this game. Yeah. Hudson was not very successful against DJ Watt, and Watt I uh, thought did a really good job against him. And Highsmith, the inside spin on Jerron Christian, worked a couple times in this game. He was right there for would-be pressures. He ripped the edge a couple times. Betting threw a guy on the ground at one point. Like it, there were wins up there. Like it just was so fast that the ball was coming out. I mean, think about it. DTR a couple plays held the ball and ran around to make a play. Like ran outside the pocket on a couple mm-hmm. times, barely, but a couple times. So that brought the average up of his time to throw to two point one five. Like there were a lot of plays that was coming out like immediately. There was just no chance for these pass rushers to impact the game. Once Pittsburgh started jumping everything, it seemed like the Browns weren't going to score again. Give them credit. They found a way to get three plays together and get in field goal range for that uh, for the game-winning play. But it was going to be pretty tough sledding the rest of the way if Pittsburgh could do anything on offense. They were mixed. They were rotating tackles in the middle of a series. I've never seen them before in my life. I was going to ask you about that. 
<laughs> yeah, and then to, to the like, shutting down Watt thing, the one thing I think that I love about him, which, like, is consistent, but I think in some games where he knows, like, this is a script, they're going to throw the ball lightning quick. Dude, his average depth of tackle against the run was 0.3 yards. He had four defensive stops against the run in particular, and all of his tackles were less than a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. Like, Who was that average. Said? That was TJ Watt. That was TJ Watt. I think he was oh, yeah, awesome yeah. against the run in this game. Yeah. yeah. Completely dominant against the run. Uh, bodied Hudson several times. Nobody could block him against the run. When he, they left him unblocked, he made the play. Like he, It was really, really dominant performance by him against the run. Highsmith was also very good against the run, I thought. Um, Hayward, probably the most back he's looked, uh, wasn't moved all game. Double team split him. Constantly stacked things up and rerouted backs. Made a tackle for a loss or two, maybe in this game. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, had some stops himself. Just totally physically looked back completely. Pass rush. He just hardly got any opportunities. He was uh, on the field for pass rushes, but the ball just came out so fast almost every time. He was a couple times doubled um, in that, those scenarios too. So I think we're going to start to see more and more of of old Cam back uh, now that he's got his legs underneath him. Um, and so, yeah, that that was encouraging. Shout out Elijah Riley. I know he got hurt. I don't know if Tomlin said a report on him just yet, but uh, that to me was probably one of the, like I thought he was playing really well too. Like he is not much to him, but he sticks his nose in every single time he gets a chance to in the box. Um so, yeah, I, I do think that there were lots of good things to be excited about defensively, but when it comes to a real passing offense, I just still worry that this team doesn't have enough options in coverage. Hopefully Mink is back soon, um, and hopefully that helps. But, yeah, I, that's still where I think this this team just has such a ceiling is if you can't stop the pass and you can't throw the ball to high level, there's just such a lid on what you can accomplish. Even getting to the playoffs, yeah, like I guess it matters, but you just can't go anywhere worthwhile. So that's today's NFL, but it just the last thought I had too was with with Cam. I agree, looking just way more like, and he's made plays in recent weeks, but I just thought he looked like Cam. Uh, Keanu played. I thought it played even more off the top of my head as a zero one tech as a true nose technique, and I thought nose tackle. Um, and I thought he looked good. I actually thought like maybe I kind of overblown kind of you know the splits in one or two game sample there. Um, I think he's getting more and more comfortable too with um just stacking an offensive lineman waiting and. and I don't even know if he was two gapping per se. Like he probably had a specific assignment, but just like reading and reacting um, and not feeling like rushed to make a play and kind of letting it come to him. I I thought he looked good, you know, in particular at nose, which, which I was kind of wondering if that was going to be a split we saw going forward, but I thought he was more than fine in in that regard. Yeah, me too. I think he looked really good. Um, He had one play where a double team knocked him back for a second. He tossed the one guy aside, got through and made the tackle at the line of scrimmage. I was like, we're just talking about flexibility and power that's pretty rare at this position. Once he learns to see the blocks and knows what he's up against on a regular basis, good night. Like he's not the straight line explosiveness that Tua had maybe, but he's the better fundamental player, I think, in the trenches than Tua was. Just consistency, snap to snap. Once he learns what he's seeing, I think it's just going to be really, really hard to block the guy. So his recovery is nuts. Like his balance, his contact balance for his size is absurd. Yeah. And the flexibility has to like bend backward and push a guy across his body and then move forward quick. Like I, I, I really don't know how Wisconsin didn't like get more out of him. Wisconsin's got to be looking at these guys in the NFL and just be like, what are we doing? Like JJ, <laughs> JJ Watt, Keanu Benton, like, watch, the, watch the Steelers defense. Be like, that's how we should have used these guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The best defensive players in history, and they're, yeah. they're just like, I mean, they were good, obviously. They get both first round picks, yeah, yeah. close to this. Um, no, 
Oh, pretty funny. Anyway, stories for another time. So, okay, that's it. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we covered a lot of ground as fast as we could because we obviously spent most of our time on the Matt Canada stuff. Tomlin has spoke here, so maybe if we get to – I don't know if we'll record again this week just because of the holidays and everything like that. want to make sure you've got time with family and I've got time. Maybe the end of the week we'll see kind of where that uh, where that leads us. But um, lots in this po- – we tried to pack this podcast full of, of good stuff for you all and thoughts on that. As always, feel free to let your questions fly to either of us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. And Brad, what's your handle again? At PFF underscore Brad? Yep. Okay, there you go. Um, so hit up, hit both of us up, ask questions as you will. We are going to at some point get into names and offensive coordinators, and we'll have a big show on that. We'll probably both do some digging before we do that, try to bring some actual good intel to the table for you, not just be like, oh, I like – this team and this guy's on the staff. So this might be good. Like we'll try to bring some real Intel to the table for you when we eventually do that. But first let's give this a couple games and see how this goes with Danny Pickett and some new offensive minds and what changes uh, at least some reason for optimism where we just haven't had any for years in Pittsburgh, that maybe something could change. Even if ultimately most of us believe Kenny probably still isn't the answer. Maybe we'll see. It's the illusion of, of, of possible of maybe right, Brad, that we chase. So <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We, we don't know until we know. Right, exactly. We knew with Canada, and now the door is open again for the possibilities, which aren't endless, but for one day, maybe they can feel like they are. So until next time, we appreciate y'all. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, share this podcast with other people. There's going to be lots of people want to hear thoughts on Matt Canada's firing and what potentially that means. I think we tried to cover it as well as anybody out there could. Uh, So if you think that's the case, share this podcast with other people, review, rate it. That's how we grow is by watching y'all do that stuff. We appreciate it. We love y'all. Thanks so much for listening. And happy Thanksgiving to everybody as well. Uh, from another edition of the Yin's No Ball podcast.